the most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. Check ASO is an analytical ASO platform that provides you with up-to-date data on keywords, competitors, ratings, and reviews. It also grades your ASO level and gives you custom tips on how to improve it. This way, you can increase your app page visibility, organic traffic, and installs with every update. Try it now for free for seven days at checkaso.io. That once again is checkaso.io. We all have developer horror stories from language barriers to bad code to developing on time. That's why I recommend using B7Dev com. They're affordable, fast, and more importantly, trustworthy. Go to b7dev.com. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content related to helping you grow your app downloads and your revenues. And my literally dirty little secret to really helping clients with their downloads is I talk to amazing people. Today, I've got a phenomenal guest. We're going to talk all about game monetization. She's been doing it for over nine years, and we're going to talk all about live ops and how you can better monetize your games. But without further ado, let me introduce the guest. Her name is Kate Nizura. She's a director of product at Mobility, where she's got over nine years of experience in the mobile gaming space. She's led live ops and product development efforts across social casino and casual games. And now she's working on a bunch of puzzle suites at Mobility, where, but Kate, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited. For those who are watching this on the video aspect of it, Kate's got a phenomenal background. I'm not going to spoil it. You don't have to watch it, but I love her background. It's the best virtual background I've seen in this whole time. But Kate, let's start with this. There's a strategy that's working for you right now. Would you mind sharing that strategy? Um, sure. Um, so like you mentioned, I've done a lot of stuff around monetization. Um, including price point optimizations and kind of uh, figuring out the bit, the best sales strategies. And something that um, has worked really well is identifying what your segments are most comfortable with as far as their preferred price point. And I've done this test across different apps, across different organizations, and it stands true as you know as far as my experience goes it's really hard to move players um in their price point so if they've entered your game and they've paid three dollars most likely they will always pay three dollars at a time mm. so what does work is you know e-commerce strategies where you do price point anchoring where you try to move them to the next price point while still still displaying their favorite price point right so if you do you know display three and a five and five is a much better deal a much better value you could move them to a five but it's much easier to increase the frequency of purchases than moving players from $3 purchase to a $20 purchase. What you will see sometimes if you're successful in your efforts is that people will spend $20, but they would still pay $3 at a time. Um, you know, something um, we've observed uh, in the social casino space, you know, you would have people who spend a lot, but they would buy $9 uh, packs or you know $18 packs and 
over time, it accumulates into these you know, massive uh, payments, lifetime value. And so that's one strategy. Another one that uh, I think is interesting, and it's not just for monetization, but in general, having segmented approach is super powerful, right? So what I see sometimes is when it comes to um, frequencies for, you know, for example, for the for ads, when you monetize through ads, or when you try to find the best configuration for something, um, sometimes people focus on the best performing average, right? So you would do A, B, C, D testing, and you're like, all right, doing this at level three is better than at level five, and this is better at this level. And then I always think that, well, it's for the average, but how can we segment it and make it more custom and tailored? So, you know, if the best level to introduce something is level seven, well, maybe you have a segment that you don't show this feature or this ad type at level seven. Maybe the best approach for them is to do it at level 30. Um, so, yeah, I, I always remind my team that, okay, we found the best average. <laughs> Can we try to segment it further? Um, so uh, I think that's that's been kind of powerful um, throughout my career, kind of keeping segmentation and personalization in mind. I love the whole price point thing. Now, are you just saying like, hey, how do I get this guy to three to five? Well, let's just show the $5 offer. So we start him at a preferred price point of five. Is that, how you, I mean, is that dumb thinking? Like, do, let's try a higher offer in the very beginning then. Yeah, so that's that's a very good strategy too. On a personal note, I would always buy something that gives me a lifetime access. Um, I think that's a much better value, uh, but it also depends on your price sensitivity and uh, would always have to do with the product that I'm, I'm looking into. Um, but for mobile gaming, and I think for e-commerce uh, as well, I think starting at a high price point, but adding um, bonus or discount uh, is a good starting point. So the, the the new player flow would include, you know, a $5 price point. And something that uh, we've tested on different um, applications is that uh, you would want to over time reduce the price, um, kind of testing the price sensitivity. Mm. So you show them five, they don't like it. You then go to three, then to one. And then uh, from that point, you would start increasing the bonus, right? So you keep the value at a constant level, reducing the price point. If they still didn't budge, then you start increasing the value of what you're offering for that $1. Um, and, um, you know, what you would see is people who convert at $1 for an insane value of, you know, like $50 value for $1, most likely they'll never pay again. Like there would be their one-time payment. And uh, something that we've explored was creating separate um, economies for different players, right? So you would have your players who are comfortable with paying what's in the, like a default um, catalog. Right. And then we explored saying something like, well, these players only convert through sales. Could we have a separate economy just for them um, where we can continue um, monetizing the players while providing the 
value and they can you know engage with the with the app it didn't quite work out like it never really panned out the way we had hoped um but you know um, I think execution is key and there's a lot of optimization there as well and testing. So I think it's it could be a valid approach. The concern there, it really depends on the game, right? So if it's a PVP or you have some kind of a competitive aspect and some players are, are getting better value for uh, same amount of money that they pay, then it's not fair, right? But if you have a single player uh, game, uh, like, you know, social casino or puzzle, then I think there is more room to maneuver and more room to um, kind of create custom economies. I think it's a lot of work. I'm not sure the ROI is quite there, um, but it's, you know, it's something to explore if, uh, if you think it would work for your game. Very interesting. And Kate, so if, why would you offer like a humongous bonus with a 99 cent offer if they end up just doing a one-time purchase? Like, is, is it even worth doing that then? I gotta... um, just curious, you feel free yeah. to say at all times. <laughs> this is what this is for, for yeah. me. Yeah, so it costs you money to bring players. And in the uh, freemium model, if you don't do ad monetization, um, then anything you can get out of them is great. Uh, and some of the value could come from virality, right? If they share stuff, if they uh, kind of have posts about your game on their Facebook page or whatever else, like if there's some benefit from, from these players, it's all fantastic. Um, but sometimes players play and you never see a cent from, from them while you're still providing great service, you're providing an amazing game. Um, so, you know, even getting $1, if you've paid five dollars for that user or you know, two dollars it's it's still good okay is that all automated you're like hey add more value decrease more price is that all automated or you guys are you doing something else within that yeah so um you know you could use different tools um my experience with uh, the first company i worked for uh, product madness you know it was a, a system that was built in house and we were able to say that if you qualify for, you know, if, if you follow these criteria, so if you are, if you've never paid, you've installed the game more than X days ago, uh, you've visited the game, you're at this level, like whatever the rules are, if you qualify, and then you see that first offer, like for example, that $5 great value offer. Uh, if say seven days later, and you test all of these kind of assumptions and these timeframes and the offers, right? So you say, you haven't paid for another seven days, let's give you a better offer. So you're still engaged, you still like the game, you're still playing, mm -hmm. um, but can we offer something that would be worthwhile for you to uh, give us some of your hard earned money? Okay, what we've seen work, and this is especially true for like non-games, is showing some form of pricing page, whether it's for subscriptions or in-app purchases during the welcome flow sequence. And we did a YouTube live stream with somebody who 5X's revenues and he's like showing and he he's like, Steve, I'm gonna take your feedback and I'm gonna do it, but I'm gonna track where all my in-app purchases came from. And he saw it's 60, now there's just one case study, but he saw 63% of his in-app purchases come during the welcome flow rather than that, like the main screen or the settings. For games, especially like puzzle games, is there a best practice like, hey, this is where you probably wanna monetize because we're seeing a lot of high conversions during this X, Y, and Z thing. Yeah. You know, a lot of your, 
you know, it really, really depends on the game. But I know that some of the games that I worked on, a lot of the revenue or the lifetime value you get out of the player will come in the first days after install. Right. Um, so that is very, very valid. Um, at the same time, you know, sometimes when I play the games and I'm given an offer and it's a great offer, I can tell because I see, you know, 100% bonus and half the, the price. And I'm like, I don't really know the game that well. Like, I don't even know if I need this offer. So uh, it definitely could be too soon. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, it's not like I'm going to give up the game just because I saw the offer. So you could try um, showing it right away. Uh, it's just you need to... Like in gaming, it's it's you know it's a freemium model. You 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 convert a tiny percentage of your user base um, as far as getting in-app purchases. Um, so I think there's a, a right time and a, a place to start showing offers. Um, something that we also know is that if you start showing uh, pop-ups and offers, it could be frustrating, right? Yeah. Um, and it could uh, decrease your retention. So you know could be on the on the conservative side with that stuff what do you guys like to show the first offer oh we we really depends but you know as as soon as um you know it could either be based on your um sessions right mm -hmm. so it could be like your second session we want to start showing you something or it could be based on how far you've gotten in the game right so if you've ran out of your currency and it's your very first session let's show you a good offer to keep you going another thing we we did very successfully for you know uh improving retention is we just give you free stuff if you love the game so much in the very beginning and you ran out of lives or ran out of virtual currency we're just giving you more so you can keep playing and kind of progress further um, so yeah, there are different strategies. I don't think there's one size fits all, um, but um, yeah, I just need to test and have very strong hypotheses around why you were doing these things. One of the things I liked about, you know, I was playing phase 10 a little bit and I noticed that there was this energy bar, right? And it was like, hey, every time I got into a game, I'd, I'd use energy. And then they allowed me to sort of like exhaust all my energy. And so I could either wait to refill it or I can watch a video, refill it a little bit, or I can pay. I like that. I was like, there's this element of me wanting to come back. Now I have to wait a little bit. I'm hooked into the game. I'm going to watch a video. Maybe I'm, I'll never pay an in-app purchase. So I'm happy to watch video ads just to get more energy. What do you think about that strategy? And are you guys deploying any type of little strategy like this where it helps retention, but also helps monetization as well? Yeah, we don't have uh, anything like an energy, but we would have a, like with our jigsaw puzzle game, we would have one free puzzle that you get a day and you know by default it's limited to you know one puzzle and if you want to play more you need to to pay um in the um you know social casino space you would get a little tiny like daily gift that keeps you going for a little bit but if you want to play more you have to spend money um i do think it's interesting that uh, a lot of the very successful games in the like match three genres which use limited lives and i think there is there is some monetization and you know i've never worked on a match three but that's just my kind of uh, personal observation um i do think 
you could monetize uh, players by by offering lives. But I see a lot of live ops can, campaigns that give you unlimited lives. So mm. that makes me think that that's not where monetization comes from. It has to be through usage of boosters, uh, trying to complete the levels, you know, extra five moves at the end. So I don't think lives is how you monetize. Um, another thing that I remember, you know, we had training for a game design or a game player psychology years ago. And I remember we talked about how it's very powerful to not let your players play for ages because mm -hmm. If you have some kind of uh, mechanics that limit how long they can play, that makes them want to come back and keep coming back. So it kind of creates that uh, dependency a little bit. So I always thought that that's why um, they had lives, limited lives in you know match three games. Yeah. But now that I see they're removing the limit very often with with live ops events, now I'm like I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Well, the jigsaw, I like that. It's like, hey, one free puzzle, and then you're like, I mean, frankly, like, you know, maybe you want to do more, but you might not want to do more than two or three. How did you guys kind of, was there like data that said, hey, let's just do one free puzzle a day that kind of justified that tactic? Yeah. So a jigsaw puzzle takes a long time. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. So if you give two, that really could eat into, into your potential revenue. And, you know, the challenge with, with puzzle, jigsaw puzzle games is that um, at least the industry standard is that you don't interrupt the gameplay. So if you think about other games that have very quick rounds and kind of shorter sessions in terms of like leveling up, those are opportunities to show ads, right? And a lot of the puzzle games would, would monetize through ads, right? And so you have a game like Jigsaw Puzzle and a player is playing for an hour, right? That free puzzle. And you don't really monetize aside from banners. And I think that's one of the challenges that we're trying to uh, solve. Like how do, yeah, we do monetize through in-app purchases, but then there is another side of business where you have ads and how, how do you monetize those really long sessions, right? So you have the engagement, um, how do you, better monetize. I think that's a challenge. Are you willing to share what you figured out so far? Uh, we're, I mean, we're still testing and it, it really comes down to either um, trying to reinforce the in-app purchases. Um, is it through better um, content surfacing, merchandising? Uh, is it about changing the perception of how the gameplay is and trying to show more ads? Is it about adding other features that are additional revenue sources. I think there are a lot of hypotheses and we're still working through them. Um, but yeah, I think we have some strong hypotheses, but we don't really know which one of them is working. Well, I wanted better. to talk Oh, sorry, Kate. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we're still <laughs> talking, essentially. I like it. When, it. when it comes to these new features or initiatives, how do you kind of, what kind of principles do you follow before you're like, let's do this? Like this is my gut, this is what it says. Do you have a like a framework that you follow to make sure these are initiatives that you should go through with? Yeah, um, I think so a lot of it would come from KPIs. Uh, I think it's uh, really important to, to identify what it is that you're trying to improve. Um, 
sometimes you know you you could start with I think this is a great feature, right? Um, without really putting the KPI first. So I think that would be the first thing that is uh, super important, starting from what it is you're trying to improve. Um, then you would also consider uh, player feedback. You know, you could run surveys and you could try to identify what players are excited about. You could go through um, reviews or customer support tickets to kind of gauge if there's if there are any common threads. Um, Another aspect is you playing the game and, you know, putting yourself in the shoes of the player and trying to be, um, you know, empathize, empathize with what their experience is like and building hypotheses for improvements around that. Um, and I think um, another super important thing is obviously competition and the, the market landscape, right? Seeing what features are being added in the adjacent genres and categories and trying to figure out if that would work in your genre. And we've seen so much success with that, right? We have a, a space like social casino with, you know, kind of women about 40 years old, the, the target demographic, and they're playing collections, they're playing, you know, um, clubs and leagues and all of these features that come from very kind of sophisticated, often, you know, Asian market kind of inspired or originated um, meta features and you know they're being simplified added to all these other genres and they're a huge success right mm. um, and so I think being mindful of how can you simplify things for your game if that's you know if your game is on the simpler side like less sophisticated as far as you know strategizing and things like that so yeah Keeping an eye on the on the marketplace is super important. Um, I would say that regardless of what it is that you've identified that you want to build or integrate into your into your game, I think you need to see how you can test that concept. And that's you know true in in gaming. It's true in product development in you know software. You know how can you get a signal? to support your hypothesis and you know the build fast and fail fast i think that's true across the board um one thing to add there is um and i think a lot of times people don't like the concept of mvp right because it kind of makes it sound like you're building something super basic and i think there, there is a lot of truth to that right so what i've seen happen is that you're like all right i have this great idea um, how can we test this concept? And you build something super basic. And then because it's so simplified, um, you actually ne never get a good feel for whether players will like it. Uh, and then you never get a second chance on improving it. So I think that's that's something I've seen happen and it's really sad, right? Um, <laughs> uh, another thing with the MVP is it's super important to have a threshold, the, the target KPI that might not be your North Star KPI, right. but the kind of the one that shows you that there's something there. So for instance, if the feature is meant to improve your, I don't know, like a monetization KPI, like a conversion rate or, or, or revenue per install, whatever it is, um, but you know that it needs these other features in phase two, phase three, what it is in phase one that would indicate that you should keep going. And, um, you know, something I've seen happen before is we would have the 
engagement with the feature, right? So there was one feature that had 2% engagement and then there was another feature that had 40% engagement rate. Neither one of them had improvement to monetization, but clearly the 40% engagement had a lot of potential because if people care about that feature, you can figure out, most likely, you can figure out a way to uh, add monetization hooks to it. So I think having a threshold for how do you move your MVP from phase one to phase two, um, that would be kind of super important, I think. I get this question all the time, Kate, is like, how do I know what's good? They're like, hey, I'm converting at five to 10%, you know, or like, I'm converting at 5%, is this good? And I'm just like, I don't know what to say. And I'm like, oh, look, here's what I've seen other clients convert at. So that's all I can say, but the, you know, it all depends on the app. So I guess one is like, what do you guys look at? And then when you look at the threshold, is it like, hey, here's the average that we're getting across our games. So if it hits half our average or a third of our average, what do you kind of think it as like the the seal, the floor and then the, threshold, mm. the minimum threshold? How do you guys get decide that? Yeah, uh, I wish we could all gather and share our data to be like, oh, you're monetizing and your retention and you're this and that at that level. Therefore, there is room to improve. Um, I do see that. And you know, there's a lot of, research out there and you can find that that shows different KPIs by different genres, right? You have something that is super like whale driven, your retention there might be much lower, but your monetization might be much bigger. So it really depends. But I think what it really comes down to is individual game KPIs. And what I mean by that is if like, it really comes down to how much it costs to acquire the user and how much value you're getting from them. And it's that formula that drives the discussion and makes you determine whether your KPIs are good or not, right? So if I'm, uh, you know, if my return on ad spend is, uh, you know, above 100%, that means what I'm doing is great and my conversion rate is pretty much awesome. Um, and then I can think about what would move the needle further? Do I need to improve retention to drive that ROAS even further? Or, or, or is it another KPI I need to focus on? Um, but if my, if I can't grow, if I can't scale my app and my CPIs are much higher than my LTVs, then pretty much I have, I have trouble across a lot of the major KPIs, right? So I think it's very individual um, and it comes down to, can you scale the app? Are you seeing any type of marketing channels that from a retention perspective are outperforming the other channels? Mm, we're testing a lot of different networks, um, working with a lot of different partners, and I'm seeing that across different apps. It depends. Um, it it also depends on the platform. Um, so certain networks are doing much better on iOS and not doing well at all uh, on a different platform. And you know, we would have two different, uh, sorry, two very similar apps, and they have very different um, networks that do better or that do worse. So really, really depends, really comes down to testing and um, yeah, the CPIs we can get and the volumes we can get. Yeah, you know, we're, we're finding, sometimes you like, if you just look at the, KPI, the CPIs, like it doesn't tell the full story, but if you look at the retention of that particular platform, you're like, whoa, this is 10 times what we're getting, even though the CPI is like dirt cheap on the other networks. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. and. Uh, you know, geos would play a big role. Um, you know, the 
countries that monetize better, especially if you had advertise with ads, um, you know, US and Canada, Australia would be much preferred, but then your CPIs are much higher. Um, and, you know, we're constantly exploring the question of which geos can we go into that are cheaper, but still worth it. Um, so I think that's a really tough one. And you would, you know, you probably need people on the ground in the local markets, right? If we want to go to, I don't know, the Philippines or Thailand, you know, is our network that we use to monetize, um, the ad, you know, ad monetization networks, do they have strong partners um, and access to, um, you know, uh, advertisers in those geos, right? So I think it has to be a cohesive strategy. If you want to explore um, non-tier one um, geos, you have to think about how do you monetize the players that you bring in. Are there any best practices that you can share from a ad, ad monetization standpoint one of the things that I've shared in the past, and I, I don't know if this is true or not, if they're making this much money, but I, I love the whole like daily rewards, great for retention. And then I, I kind of reference Fun Run 3. Um, we play that game and I'm like, well, look at these daily rewards. I can see the daily rewards. So it brings you back for the next day because I can see them. And secondly, when I claim these daily rewards, I'm able to double up just by watching the video ads. I'm like, this is great. Like I do this all the time. Are there any best practice from an ad monetization standpoint, especially for the puzzle games? Because I have to assume that, you know, people are going to get stuck and then it's like, what do I do? You know, do I pay? Do I, you know, these tips, things? Yeah. Um, yeah, something that I'm not seeing much of, and I actually just, you know, I had a presentation about it yeah. um, for um, for LiveOps. Um, I see that companies that monetize through ads don't really tap into adding monetization hooks into their live ops uh, or they just skip live ops altogether because it doesn't necessarily monetize so it seems like a lot of overhead for not much roi um but what we've seen is that you can always kind of like what you were saying you can incorporate things like double your reward by watching an ad um and it doesn't have to be only in the daily reward it could be across the across the flow it could be like unlock this feature watch an ad double the reward here, extend your time there. Yeah. Uh, and you can kind of sprinkle oppor monetization opportunities here and there. Well, you mentioned it. How do we incorporate monetization with LiveOps then? Um, I mean, you work with your engineering team and your monetization team on the best uh, placements. Um, you might need to have the tools that support that, but I, I don't think it should be a problem. But you would just think about what feels natural, right? What doesn't feel like extortion? <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so, you you know, it's it's nice to give an opportunity that players just collect their earned reward or they can get something better and you just use a smart UI uh, and UX solutions to kind of make it into a natural flow, right? You click on the this button instead of that button mm -hmm. and all of a sudden, you now have something that's, you know, extra reward by watching an ad. What are you guys doing with live ops? I mean, I'm assuming that it's tournaments based. Like what are you, what else are you guys doing with your games with live ops? Uh, most of it would be around um, kind of completionist um, mindsets. Uh, if we think about, you know, different uh, quadrants of the, the player mentality. So we kind of tap into that the most because we feel like 
people who do puzzles and play like jigsaw puzzles, word puzzles, they hear about um, kind of the collecting items, uh, earning uh, achievement rewards. So we kind of focus on that. So our live ops would be around, you know, engage with the app in the meaningful way. And we're kind of determining what that means. Is that clearing the levels? Is that completing X number of uh, challenges in a row, whatever that is. Um, and then kind of build live ops events around that. Okay. Interesting. Do you have an example? Like what kind uh, of yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it could be something like uh, play, um, so it's say like a week long event and you would say play nine or 10 puzzles. Uh, and every time you play a puzzle, you have a chance uh, of finding, right? And there's like a weights distribution in the back end of, of finding an item. And you need five of those items to complete an event. Mm. Um, so you're driving the engagement with the app and there is a time limit to um, how long it takes and how long they have until the end of the event to earn the reward. So there's that time pressure that is usually very powerful. Um, and you would often base that on what's the segment you are trying to optimize this for, right? Are you going after the average? So you would say that in a week, on average, my players play 1.2 puzzles. Therefore, if I'm asking them to do 20% more than they do, I'm trying to increase engagement by 20%. But in reality, what could happen is if you look at your distribution, your most engaged and your most valuable players are playing five puzzles a day, right? So doing nine to them means nothing. They're, they're just like, yeah, that's my two-day kind of engagement done not interested. So you're not engaging them, which could be fine, right? If you're going after kind of less engaged players. So really kind of going back to what I said earlier, where you need to have your KPI in mind and not just the KPI, also like which segment it is you're trying to address and, and move the KPI for. Yeah. I love that live ops event. That's interesting. Cause I always, you know, like I, I was like at the risk of sounding stupid to Kate, I was like, okay, live option. I've always thought it as like a live event, come on, do things. But I never thought of it as like a nine day go in, in here because my son plays a lot of these like sports games where it's like, hey, big tournament coming up today or on Saturday play. So I'm always thinking these one day event type of things, but not thinking through like, oh yeah, yeah you can do a week long challenge. It could be a 30 day long challenge. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it could be 30 days, it could be 90 days. It, it really depends. And that's the beauty of live ops. It can, it's very flexible and it's really about what makes sense uh, for your app. And there are no limits really. If something works for you, just keep um, iterating and, and figuring out how you can improve it even further. It, it, the one thing I want to touch on too is I'm seeing a lot of like these urgency type of sales where, especially for non-games where it's like hey you know subscribe here's a ridiculous offer you got 10 minutes and some people have reported back to me like minutes is better than days although online might do like a 48 hour sale but in the app they're like 15 minutes 10 15 minute sales do you have any data or have you guys tried any of this stuff um we have we have not seen that much success with that i think it is definitely powerful um, to say that it's a, 
it's a one-time offer. I think it was kind of overused where people stopped trusting this. I just remember, you know, buying airplane tickets and uh, I was booking with a friend and it said, and we were doing it remotely, right? And it said, only two tickets left at this price. And I remember very specifically, she said, nah, it's just a marketing trick. I'm sure there's more than that. Because that's what you get used to, right? That you're being kind of, kind of tricked with these psychological um, approaches and, and strategies. And so we ended up kind of missing out on those opportunities. And the, the truth of the matter is that there were only two tickets at the price point. And then they kind of doubled once they were gone, those two tickets. Um, so I think now you don't really see many of those kind of misleading um, sales where they're, they're just trying to get you to, to buy. Uh, so I, th- I think it's worth uh, testing. And um, it, the reality is that optimizations are super powerful, right? Um, you can get more uplift from these small iterations and small tests because 1% here, 2% there, it really adds up. Because if you focus only on like big shifts, that's pretty risky, right? Because you could invest a lot of time um, and might not get much um, ROI on that. So yeah, I would definitely encourage testing, you know, one day only, or um, instead of time focusing on how many items are left at that price. Um, I think there is a lot of um, good stuff there. Yeah, I love it. I think you hit, you hit it on the head. It's like these incremental wins. Sometimes we look at a 2% and we're like, oh, okay, great. But then it's like, look, you're like you said, 2% here, 3% here, and then boom, you got a little compound effect. Kate, anything I missed that you want to make sure we cover? Um, no, I think it was a really great discussion. Um, just one thing that, you know, I was thinking about coming uh, to talk to you. Um, there was this podcast I listened to the other day, and it kind of made me think about it. And I kind of tested myself. Is that how I think about it? So there was a, um, a discussion that Adam Grant had with, uh, Malcolm Gladwell on the, I think it's called Work, Work Life uh, podcast. And I remember he said something and I was like, oh, I love this. This is so helpful for game design, kind of uh, strategizing, product road mapping. So I remember they were talking about how book and the next books, opinions change, right? And you could contradict yourself. And I remember Malcolm Gladwell, who I love, he said, um, and I'm paraphrasing something like um, consistency is the worst virtue if it's a virtue because you have to be allowed to change your opinions because if you don't, it means you're not likely, you're just not growing, you're not expanding, you're not taking new opinions into the account. And I was like, oh, that reminds me of how I like to approach my roadmaps and strategies. And I think it's, something that people sometimes don't like doing, changing their opinions, right? If you presented something to your manager or like a leadership group and you said you want to do X with the feature and they're like, all right, that's what we're doing. And then three months later, you're like, actually, you know, I internalized that information. I observed more data, more things came into, came into light and I no longer think we should do that. And I think that should be encouraged. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people feel like they should be consistent to what they already said. So, um, yeah, I was just thought with the drop a little nugget of wisdom from Malcolm Gladwell. 
<laughs> I think like don't be so hard on yourself. Like if you do change, like sometimes I'm like, why did I even do that? You know, like and I'm like, I spent so much time doing this one thing. Why did I even do that? And now I'm changing my mind, but I'm so hard on myself. The fact that I'm like, oh, yeah. because I did that, it got me here as well. Exactly. Yeah. So I think I think that should be kind of something that people can't. In fact, and you know, sometimes I have these conversations with you know product owners where they're like, I feel so bad that we told the team we're building this feature. Now I don't feel strongly about it. And I'm like, I think it's amazing. We're not gonna go ahead and waste the team's time on building the feature that you no longer feel is a good feature for this product. This is great. Like this is success. It's not a failure. Um, and so yeah, I think it's super important. I love it. Okay, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. Give us one app we should definitely check out. Um, I think when you look at the gaming market, um, there is a lot of innovation. And my favorite thing about working in gaming is how dynamic it is, right? So you constantly have new trends, like new things are happening every couple of, um, maybe not every couple of uh, months, but you constantly get so much innovation. And I love that. So my latest favorite games are to do with the, the new merge mechanic. Um, so if you have time, check out uh, uh, Merge uh, Mansion and Travel Town. I think those games are really cool and very like they're very refreshing. Um, uh, I, I would highly recommend those. Um, so, so yeah. I like how you said, hey, I borrow, you know, like look at other categories and try to see if you can borrow it and incorporate into your own products too. Okay, what's a lesson it could be business or personal that took you the longest to learn? Um, yeah, I think the flexibility is super important. You know, you kind of think of like, what's your, style when it comes to like working with teams and how you position yourself and what kind of leader you are. Um, then I find that you could, you know, you have to, you have to be flexible. Different teams require a different style of, of interaction and they have different needs. Some people want more leadership and more direction. Other, other teams are like, no, we're good. <laughs> Just support <laughs> us. Right. Uh, and I think it took me a while to understand that it's not me, like, it's not that I'm doing something wrong. It's just that teams have different needs. Um, and, you know, right now I'm working with multiple teams, different game teams. Right. Um, and I was, sometimes I would get confused. I'm like, well, this style works so well for this team. Why isn't this other team? Why are they not reacting in such a positive way as the first team? Um, and then it, it's just, it's the work in progress. I think it's constantly trying to learn more about um, team dynamics and psychology and how to approach different teams and like who are the leaders on the teams as far as like kind of creating, I guess the culture and the, um, like if you want to introduce a new initiative, is there a, like, do you go through the, the specific people to first get their buy-in? Or do you kind of introduce it to everybody? And I think it's fascinating. I love learning more about it and experimenting with how I try things. Um, so I think, yeah, for for thought leaders and you know managers and leaders in the company, I think it's uh, super important to just not be kind of rigid and be more in the kind of growth mindset, um, testing different things. Um, yeah. So. Love it, Kate. 
the website is Mobility, where I'm sure you guys have heard of all their products. But Kate, if there's one app or game that you want the the listeners to go check out out of Mobility, where is there one that you're like, hey, go check out this game? Like we've done some really cool stuff in it. Um, so we have a lot of really cool games. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, the thing is that we have so many; it's hard yeah. to choose which one is great. But I think kind of the the marquee uh, title that we have is uh, Solitaire. It's exactly what you expect it to be it's just the perfect solitaire game so try installing that if, if you're into that um some of the kind of more puzzle oriented games um the the last game we've launched is dice merch it's really cool it's more about kind of strategic approach and solving puzzles kind of like a bit of chess a bit of you know, puzzle. So that's a really, really cool one. Um, and one more would be, uh, you know, if you like Sudoku or you think you should like Sudoku, but you're not <laughs> like, getting how it works. Um, so Mobility Wear has launched a Sudoku app uh, and it's just like simplified and it's made for people who want to get into it. And it's just like a perfect app to learn how to do Sudoku. So like, I would say those are I'm, I laugh because when you say you feel like you should live, it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, you should cycle your brain, make sure it works. You know, there's all these studies, Sudoku, like increases lifespan memory, all that junk. That's what popped in my head when you're like, yeah. you feel like you should like it, <laughs> even though you might yeah. not. <laughs> uh, that was awesome. Kate, if the audience wants to connect with you personally, do you want to send them anywhere else? Um, LinkedIn, um, Kate. Uh, or Katerina Nezura, N-E-Z-H-U-R-A. It's probably the best way to find me. Cool. Um, well, click yeah. on Kate's name in your favorite podcast app. I'll go directly to her LinkedIn. Kate, thank you so much for coming on doing this. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. I hope this was helpful. Super helpful. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you on the next chat. Thank you. Bye. Want to increase your downloads and revenue? Check out our new ASO Master Service where we help you with ASO, optimizing your revenue, and we'll even manage your Apple search ads and Google ads. Learn more at asomasters.com. Thanks for listening to the App Masters Podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.